All right. Good evening, everyone. And thank you so much for joining us tonight on the Green Book Experience. I'm your host, Sunshine, and I'm joined with my good brother here, Righteous. Peace, everyone. Thanks right. for having on. So glad to be here today. Wow. Sunshine, you just brought a ray of sunshine to the world. Thank you, Queen. Thank you, Queen. And Righteous Allah, keep it righteous, bro. Keep it righteous. All right. So, We've had some problems that have been plaguing our communities since the late 60s and the early 70s. And these problems have been poverty, preventable disease, pre-adult parenthood, imprisonment, crime, violence. And there's this center for economic growth, the Silic Center. And they found that the money in our community circulates one time. In our Latino community, it circulates six times. And it circulates nine times in the Asian community. And I have that underlined for a reason. In the white community, our white brothers and sisters, their money circulates nearly an unlimited amount of times. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that our resources are kept sacred and our monies, our resources, circulate stronger and longer. So what I want everybody to do in the chat... Take this 30 seconds and tell me why you think the money in the Asian American community circulates on. Put it in the chat. Yeah, let your Twitter fingers go to work. Why does the Asian American money circulate longer? All right, so we have people saying, I don't know. We have people saying culture. <laughs> we have people saying, uh, why are we worrying about the Asian American community? Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's a valid question. Um, we have people saying language. Okay. That's part of it. They stick together. Okay. Good, good, good. Let me see. I'm going to take two more other comments. Define Asian American. Okay. Uh, we'll skip that comment. <laughs> And the last question, the last comment that I'm going to read, it says, I think it's because they work together. Okay, good, good, good. Well, let's move on. I love your comments. Okay. Here's a hint. In our last green experience, we talked about sundown towns. If you missed that green experience, check out the video. It was very instrumental and educational. And this was one of the slides from that. And it's a hint on why the Asian American community monies, their resources circulate a little stronger and a little longer. So let me give another hint. Here's a hint from Chicago. Okay, here's another hint. Here's a hint from New York City. I'm a Brooklyn boy. I take some getting used to. So Brooklyn is a blood type. Salute all my New Yorkers and my Brooklyn folk. All right. <laughs> here's another hint from Falls Church, Virginia. And this hint is a little deeper. Asian shopping center with over 100 businesses. Hmm is starting to become clearer. Here's a hint from Virginia Beach, Virginia. 
by the way, that's the Philippine Cultural Center uh, in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I've DJed there a number of times. I used to go to the line dancing classes there as well. Good spot. So, here are a few reasons. Cultural cohesion. So, cultural cohesion is how groups stick together. They have solidarity and they look for themselves. They look to build relationships and they look to uplift each other. So cultural cohesion is a very important reason why the the Asian American resources circulate longer. Education. Higher education leads to higher social status in the Asian community, which leads to more internships and jobs for their youth, for their adults, and greater wealth opportunities particularly with those who we would consider East Indian, who actually in the Asian community, you know, it's very diverse. You have Chinese, Japanese, Taiwanese, Filipino. um, There's a whole slew, East Indian. There's a whole gamut of people who fit under the umbrella of Asian American in America. East Indians are the most financially solvent of the Asian community in the United States of America. Here's another reason. A lot of the Asian Americans seek entrepreneurship. They seek to own businesses for a lot of different reasons. And I'll get into that that in another presentation. Or they really seek higher income jobs. So you want to see a few at Walmart? You're going to see more at the hospital, right? You're going to see a few in the schools as teachers or educators, you know, which could be administrators, but you're going to see a lot of them in the high tech positions. So entrepreneurship or higher income jobs, you're not going to find a lot of Asians at call centers. All right. The Asian community really forces down the throats of their young people the concept of nation building and nation building skills. So while you know we may talk about nation building as a terminology, as a concept, as a organizing foundational concept, nation building really requires a really depth, a really in-depth understanding of economics architecture, business, agriculture, and international finance. So, now, I, like I said, you're not going to find the Asian Americans at the call centers. You might find a few at Walmart, but you're going to find a lot in economics, in architecture, in business, agriculture, and international finance. Here's another reason. The uh, the Japanese American, which is part of the Asian American community, they receive their reparations. They received their reparations in 1988. So there were a group of Japanese Americans who were imprisoned for about four years, five years. <laughs> they fought the government for over 15 years. And in 1988, they receive their reparations. Wow. 
Here's a picture of the date they received it. And if you'd like to learn more about it, there's a book called Redress, the inside story of the successful campaign for Japanese American reparations. Now, I like to say that to uh, put a feather in the cap, there are a number of Japanese Americans who are involved in their reparations, who are working with some of the groups in America who are working to receive reparations for the descendants of those enslaved in America. So it's, you know, there's a feather in the cap, but they received theirs already. So I want to go back to the idea of cultural cohesion. There are six factors in cultural cohesion, membership, attraction, perceived cohesion, participation, shared community values, social capital, and the important role of institutions. Membership. I consider myself part of this community first. I might swear to, you know, the United States flag. I might, you know, pledge allegiance. But in my behavior, I consider myself a part of this community first. I find value in the aesthetics, the cultural, and solidarity in my community. I was trained to act as a group to serve the group. That's the perceived cohesion. You don't even have to, you know, an Asian American child doesn't even have to ask, are we supposed to look out for each other? They were trained with that mentality. They participate in cultural activities, not the entire community, but a great amount, a significant amount participates in activities that are related to their particular community. So you'll have the uh, Filipino Festival in Virginia Beach. In Norfolk, you're going to have the East Indian Festival, and they're going to participate in that. They're going to do the dances from the various areas of Pakistan and East India and all of those areas. They're going to showcase their cultural activities. They have shared community values. They value making sure that they value each other in public. In public. You know, when Akai Gurley was murdered by that Asian police officer and the district attorney said, you need to go to jail. The Asian community in mass, not just the Chinese community, not just the Filipino community, but the Asian community in general gathered together and said, you're not going to put our police officer in jail. And the social pressure from the Asian community released that police officer. I can't think of his name right now. So social pressure worked where they were able to get their police officer who killed an innocent person. Akai Gurley was walking up a stairwell. It was a dark stairwell. It was a stairwell in his building. Um, Peter Liang, who was the officer, thought he was breaking into something and shot him in a dark room. He wasn't able to see, but Pierre, Peter Liang is working now as a police officer. Shared community values. Social capital. The leaders in the community provide value as I show up as one of them. So when I speak beautifully about my community, the leaders in my community reward me. 
when I don't speak about the problems in my community, the leaders in my community reward me. And the important role of institutions, I support our businesses, professionals, and organizations. I value the institutions in my community. So, we're addressing problems that have plagued our community since the late 1960s, early 70s. What might they be? Well, I work with a group called the 200 Plus Men. I'm a member, uh, actually the Economic Advancement Committee Chair, and my company, Positive Vibes Consulting, LLC, worked with the 200 Plus Men to put together our newest initiative, the HR Green Book. So, it's a current solution that's named after a historic solution. All right. So whatever terminology you rock with, you know, African-American, it might be black, it might be Nubian, it might be copper skin, it might be melanated, it might be Moorish, it might be indigenous, it might be Native American. You know, whatever term you rock with, we represent you in the HR Green Book. It was named after the uh, original Green Book that Victor Green and his wife, Alma Green, a lot of times they don't talk about the wife, but she was instrumental in this book as well. So I want to give her her flowers, right? She actually continued the book after her husband died. She and her daughter continued the book from 1960 to 1966 when they had the final publication of the Green Book. But it was a travel guide for our people. During the time when going to certain restaurants, going to certain hotels, and going to certain gas stations actually put your life in danger. Interestingly enough, I say he was Travelocity before Travelocity because in 1947, he started something called Reservation Station, which provided us with booking services, arrangements. In 1947, Travelocity before Travelocity. Here's what the uh, 1940 Green Book looked like, okay? And interestingly enough, I have it right next to this mobile gas station, and I'll tell you why in just a situation, um, just a moment. So, the original Green Book was a solution to sundown towns, also known as sunset towns, great towns, sundowner towns, pretty much white-only areas. And in the 1910s to the 1970s, there were thousands of them. Now, they started fading in the 1970s. There's still a few around today. I live in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Virginia Beach, Virginia, when it was Princess Anne County, was a sunset town. Now, here's a little context. When the book debuted, the average price of a car was $760, which was like about six months wages for most of us. Interestingly enough, most banks wouldn't give us loans and most insurers wouldn't give us insurance which is a reason that you find a lot of Black-owned, minority-owned, melanated-owned, you know, choose a word, choose a phrase, car shops. That was one of the areas that we were really saturated in during the early 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. There were a lot of car shops, you know, service stations. 
that we owned because we couldn't get insurance. So we had to fix our vehicles. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, there were some car manufacturers that wouldn't sell to us. <laughs> but there's a funny story, and there's a really funny story with about it. So in the 30s, Cadillac, which was under GM, General Motors, they had this unwritten policy of not selling to us until this guy named Nicholas Dresden noticed that a lot of us were bringing our cars in. When I say us, I'm talking about the really affluent, the celebrities. They were bringing their cars in for service. And he was like, how are they bringing these cars in that they own for service when we're not selling to them? It made no sense. He realized that we were using white front men. Now, <laughs> we were using white guys to buy the cars for us. Then they would put the title in our names. We paid white men to buy cars for us. And a lot of the black celebrities used to really have these Cadillacs. Interestingly enough, in the 30s, mid-30s, GM was going through some heck. They were really starting to fail. And so Dresden urged the top executives to allow us to come into the showrooms and to start buying the cars directly from the showrooms. And for the next 40 years, GM was saved <laughs> because we were buying the Cadillacs. Their numbers rose 70%. Well, once we were able to drive the cars, we had some other challenges. You know, we some of the restaurants weren't friendly to us. Some of the theaters wouldn't serve food in a colored section. So we had to start bringing our food to the theater. And so I know a lot of us are like, you know, Big Mama used to make you bring chicken and sandwiches to the movie theaters. For, for those of you who are over 40, you might remember that. <laughs> your grandmother, your grandfather made you bring food to the movie theaters. And you always wanted to buy the popcorn and candy and the hot dogs there. But they were like, no, we got chicken. <laughs> we got chicken sandwiches. They would have a chicken sandwich, you know, two pieces of bread. There was bones in the chicken. You know, it was weird, you know, but... That was because they grew up in the time when they had to bring food because it was dangerous to go to an unknown restaurant. It was dangerous to go to certain hotels. So when Dizzy Gillespie and when some of the people who were really big in jazz came, uh, let me go with this. Um, Frank Sinatra, we all know him. He was part of the Rat Pack, right? Sammy Davis Jr., was also part of the Rat Pack. When Frank Sinatra came to Norfolk, he stayed in the hotel. When Sammy Davis Jr. came to Norfolk, he stayed in people's houses on Church Street. Church Street is an area, uh, a predominantly black melanated area in Norfolk, Virginia, near where I live. So it was difficult. It was different. So once we were able to get cars, one of the challenges we had then was how do we get gas? And there was a company called Esso, which is now Exxon Mobil, who was the first company to allow us to actually work there, which was really welcoming to make sure that we bought gas there and later on offered ownership. And this is the brother who had the first ownership. So the original Green Book was a business solution to America's sundown towns and the black massacres that were happening throughout our country. It was legally copyrighted and published. 
It was sold by mail carriers. It was sold by mail order. It was sold at the SO stations. It was offered through AAA. They had a licensing deal and offered by the U.S. Travel Bureau. And in addition to the United States, it also had sites in the Bahamas and Mexico. And Mexico. We'll circle back to Mexico, why that's important later, and a different green experience. So the original one kind of died in 1966. You know, Victor Green passed away in 1960. His daughter and his wife carried it on for another six years. But in 1964, as you see, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King shook hands with President Lyndon B. Johnson, and they signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Interestingly enough, Lyndon B. Johnson said to Dr. King, make me sign it. Make your people make me sign this. And so the historic situation, the historic solution was the Green Book of Victor and Alma Green. Our current solution is the HR Green Book. We have currently over 1,500 listings. This one says 1,400 we shot up 100 and uh, yeah our businesses, organizations and professionals in Hampton Roads Virginia. It's free to everybody so everybody can submit their businesses their professional listing professional listing if you're a doctor or a lawyer and you work with a firm but you don't own the firm but if I want to say I want Dr. Sunshine then I can go to that firm and say I want Dr. Sunshine so Dr. Sunshine can have their professional listing in the book see how that works my beloved brethren minister zumbi shawala author of the book that every person should have on their shelves the gospel of afronomics theology go um you know what minister anytime i have you on a show i try to go over your jewels so you know, why don't we go through your jewels very quickly? Okay. You know what they are. You know what they are. <laughs> okay. Principle 30 number... seconds. Yeah, principle number 19, cultural tithing. A dime out of every dollar should go to a race-first, African-centered organization. That's number 19. Uh, be a cop. Be a creator, owner, and producer of whatever it is that you produce and i'm also going to add another p protector you know whatever we produce we should also protect whether it's through um, patents copyrights trademarks and then being a 20 dollar revolutionary we should all commit ourselves to making a 20 dollar purchase from a black owned entity each week be it e-commerce or brick and mortar the long-term objective is to have 50 million African people make this practice. And in one year, we can shift $52 billion back into our black economy. And beef, science of beef, beef is an acronym meaning business, economics, entrepreneurship, finance. All right, so you can catch the good brother Zumbi Shawala uh, by picking up his book <laughs> yeah. or stick around, you know. All right, so that's a little bit about uh, Minister Zumbi Shawala who provides a book called 
GOAT, the Gospel of Afronomic Theology. And we'll be using that to give presentations for the upcoming Green Experiences. He has solutions that we could follow, kind of like Amos Wilson's Blueprint for Black Power. Revised. Updated. Yeah. So, we want everyone who's watching to get a chance to enjoy the benefits of participating in the HR Green Book and the benefits of participating and uplifting our community from the ground up. I want to thank everybody for allowing me to talk today. Sunshine, righteous Allah, peace and blessings. Amazing. Um, I learned even more in this Green Book experience. <laughs> So super excited. Um, definitely going to look into that goat, um, you know, uh, as well as um, this solution right here. Green Book. HR Green Book here at the Green Experience. Um, and so thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, for watching wherever you are. Uh, don't forget to check out the website, www.hrgreenbook.com. That's where you'll be able to literally put your business in there for free um, so that we can begin this revolution. Super excited. Uh, Righteous, do you have anything to tell the people? Um, good presentation, Seku. Um, learned a lot also. I totally agree with the minister. Um, Everybody need to get that book and need to continue to log on to see what the solutions are to our socioeconomic conditions.